the FBI issues a bizarre demand that should frighten anyone who uses the internet. And then we meet a young family stationed at a California military base. While her husband is deployed, it's up to the mother to protect their two children. But how can she protect them from a threat she can't even see? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys had a great weekend. First off, let's give a shout-out to our newest Patreon supporter and childhood personal best friend of mine, riding into Dead Rabbit Command on the back of an enormous, enchanted elephant. It's Steve Damewood. Everyone give a round of applause for Steve Damewood. Give him a little round of applause. Longtime listeners of the show recognize that name. I've talked about him several times on this show. My original ghost hunter partner in crime, Steve Damewood, is now supporting the Patreon. Thank you so much, Steve. You know what's interesting? Steve, as far as I can recall, is the first person I knew my age who saw a ghost. Back in the 80s and the 90s, you still did not talk about paranormal stuff or UFO stuff. It was considered something that kooks believed, especially UFOs. You'd get the Time Life books, you'd watch the shows narrated by Leonard Nimoy, but you were still considered cuckoo, cuckoo, if you ever mentioned publicly that you saw a ghost or that you saw a UFO. This is debatable, but I'm pretty sure Steve was the very first, I'm a little bit older than him by just a couple years, but he was the very first person I knew around my age who had seen a ghost. Hope you don't mind mind me sharing this story, Steve. Steve told me the story a long time ago. He was a little kid. He was a little kid living in his house. And I don't remember the age. I don't remember what age he was or the location or anything like that. Don't blow up my spot. But he was a little kid. And if I remember the story correctly, he was at his house. He was all alone. And a stagecoach, like a phantom stagecoach, a translucent horse and carriage, you know, like old-timey dude and everything like that. A translucent horse and carriage, horse and buggy, like old pioneer. Th- I, I, I'm getting caught up on the You're like, Jason, just get to what it does. You don't have to keep describing it when what it is. So it had wheels with spokes of old oak taken from the mightiest trees. He's sitting at his house and this stagecoach begins to gallop through his house. Wasn't knocking stuff over. It wasn't like, excuse me, sirs, the horses were... It was moving through the house as if it wasn't there. Now, I would like to imagine little six-year-old Steve running all of Indiana Jones. He's like, ah! He's running down the hallway as the stagecoach is coming. There's also a huge chance that Steve is going to email me after this episode and be like, Dude, what are you talking about? That never happened. I'm, I remember you telling me that story, Steve. Anyways, that and I remember being like, whoa, that was the first time I'd ever met someone my age that had seen a ghost. And usually the ghost stories were like my great grandma Zelda came to me after she passed away, which I'm not I'm not discounting that. That's beautiful, but it's a little less exciting. Was she chasing you? Did she have a stagecoach? I mean, it's beautiful. She came back to say goodbye one last time. But did you run from her? So that was an amazing ghost story of Steve's. 
Um, there is a high likelihood that that part of the episode will get edited out if Steve's like, dude, I don't want you sharing my ghost stories, especially ones that I don't even remember happened to me. No, it's, I'm pretty sure Steve told me that story. Anyways, I went to high school, Steve. He's a great guy. We went on ghost hunts. And I'm going to go more into detail about mine and Steve's ghost hunts on tomorrow's episode. Because not only am I going to rehash this time we met a Civil War ghost, and the time we went to a spooky, spooky graveyard in Folsom, California, I am going to, for the first time ever, tell a story that was deleted from this podcast. Lost media, some may say. The Burned Pants story. Steve Damewood was a key player in the Burned Pants story, and I recorded that episode maybe three, 400 episodes ago and never released it. So t- stick tuned, stay tuned tomorrow for more crazy personal ghost stories, as well as finally the burned pants. P- new, new listeners, <laughs> what what are you talking about? Civil War ghost? You met a Civil War ghost? Yes, kind of. Burned pants tomorrow, but we got a ton of stuff to cover today as well. Steve, I'm going to toss you the... Oh, I got to finish my intro. Steve, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. I totally get it. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Steve, I'm going to toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed out to Sunrise, Florida. (laughs) Old-timey Jason Jalopy. It's not not as cool as a Phantom Stagecoach, but we did chase a couple kids through their houses in this thing. Steve is driving us down to Sunrise, Florida. It's February 2nd, 2021. We're in the sleepy little town of Sunrise, Florida. It's six in the morning. David Lee Huber is a 55-year-old man, generally known around the apartment complex as being a bit of a crank. Actually, that's that's not far enough. They actually think he's a dangerous, psychotic man. He's not just like Maxine. He's not just like this guy walking around in his robe and his coffee being like, don't talk to me before I have my cup of joe. People are afraid he's going to murder them. He's way more than just a crank. 6 a.m. February 2nd, 2021, David Lee Huber is getting served a run-of-the-mill federal arrest warrant for suspected child exploitation, which generally means child sex abuse images, a.k.a. child porn. So the FBI goes to arrest this dude. It turns out he is fully prepared for this. He, I mean, obviously, if he's doing this disgusting stuff, he has to know this is going to happen eventually. He's armed. He has a, a, one of those ring doorbell video cameras. He sees them coming. He opens fire. The FBI's calling it for backup. It's this whole thing. I actually thought about covering it at the time because it was this crazy true crime story. In the end, two FBI agents were killed. Three were wounded. David Lee Huber killed himself. And SWAT teams showed up. They didn't know if there were explosives in the building. They took a tank and drove it through his apartment. It's considered the bloodiest day in FBI history since 9-11. It was, it was a terrible, terrible, tragic event for the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I remember reading those articles at the time. I'm like, this is insane. It's like something out of a movie. But I didn't cover it. I, I thought it was an interesting true crime story, but I, I didn't cover it. Until this. Because this is where it goes from being true crime and goes into the realm of conspiracy. And I've never seen this before. I've seen stuff kind of like it. But it was always super specific. This just came out yesterday. When I keep saying yesterday, this came out on June 5th. Everyone covered this news story. It was a huge news story. All these websites are running it. All these newspapers are running it. I almost ran a segment on it. Very, very widespread news report. 
This event happened on February 2nd. In April, USA Today, the publisher for USA Today, Gannett, got a subpoena from the FBI. And they said, listen, we're doing this criminal investigation. We need some information from you. What we want from you, what the FBI wants from you, Gannett, is that you published an article on February 2nd, 2021. You published it at 9 a.m. Here's the link. It's this USA Today article regarding the shooting and killing of these FBI agents. We want to know who read this article. We want to know the phone numbers and the IP addresses of every single person who clicked on this article between 8.03 p.m. and 8.38 p.m. We expect this information as soon as you can provide it. We all know there are websites out there that sell illegal drugs that are actually honeypots for the federal government. You're like, what? That's the thing is you're buying a bunch of drugs, you're waiting for your heroin. We all know that there's websites out there that are actually set up by the government to get you to try to, you know, commit fraud or terrorism and stuff like that. They don't get you to commit it. They get you to commit to it and they arrest you before you do it. So you know they have that. You also know that there are websites out there that the feds are watching. They're trying to check the traffic that's going in and out of these sites so they can go, oh, this is guy visited this website, so let's look out for drug information. Let's look out for drugs coming to this address. We all know those things. I have never, ever seen a mainstream website about an article that was written on hundreds of websites on that same day being told, we want to know everyone who visited this between 8.03 in 8.38 p.m., a very specific time. Give us that information. Don't tell anyone about this, either. You'll be jeopardizing this investigation. The reason why we know about it now is that Gannett is filing suit. They're saying, no way, absolutely not. We're not giving you that information. We'll take you to court. That's First Amendment. They have the right to read our articles. And the only thing I can think of was that somebody reference that article between that time period somewhere else on some other forum. And they said, did you see this USA Today article? And they provided that link. And it was between the time of 8.03 and 8.38 p.m. And they wanted to know who that was. They wanted to know who that was. It may have been on some dark net forum or something like that. That was my my idea. Or my, my theory was that somebody then sent, after this happened, sent a threat to the FBI and said, well, more's coming, guys, and then provided that link, and they were taking it. They want to know who sent it. That was my... Unfortunately, see, I'm a little more Cobra Commander in my aspirations, and I forget the sewer people exist. So the FBI did announce today. So that all happened yesterday. The FBI announced today, we're taking back the subpoena. We're taking back the subpoena. The reason why we issued that subpoena, because everyone thought that was weird. Why that time? The reason why we issued that subpoena was not because (laughs) Destro was planning to destroy the Eiffel Tower and he mentioned this article. No, it's because we believed this other child molester had visited the website at that time. So I bet you anything on some darknet forum that they don't have the IP addresses for those people. Someone posted that link on that forum and they knew if they could get all the IP addresses and all of the phone numbers of everyone who visited that, they could catch a good chunk of them of people clicking on the link from that darknet forum or the person who submitted it in the first place. 
fascinating and terrifying. I understand we want to lock these people up. But you have to imagine hundreds of thousands of... Okay, tens of thousands of people were reading that article between that time period. And all their information being given to the government for them to troll through and start to make these connections. At what point do you say, I'm willing to have all of my IP information out there because I know I'm not one of those creepos. So yes, you can have access to all of my information. It's, it's fascinating. It's, it's a fascinating thing. Because you, your gut instinct is to be like, kick down their doors. Absolutely kick down their doors. Do whatever it takes to kick down their door. That's your gut instinct. Because originally, see, I thought this was like a, a threat. It's funny because if someone was, this is going to come out wrong, but if someone was making threats towards the FBI, I would be like, hey, dude, it's freedom of speech. The guy probably didn't really mean it. He just he was blowing off steam. He was the apartment complex owner. He's like, ah, oh, my apartment's. But when you learn what it actually is, it's super gross. And at that point, you're like, you know what I mean? Like, that's the struggle. Like, if you're going after really disgusting villains, where does the line of liberty and freedom, where you're just like, just kicking their doors, where you just harvest mass amounts of information, everyone's phone. The reason why they wanted the phone numbers was because if they were using their phone to access the website. Fascinating story, though, and that is a conspiracy. And you have to wonder, the reason why we know about it is because USA Today did not comply with it. You have to wonder how many times websites, like mainstream websites, again, this isn't just weirdo websites out there that the police are watching, that you're clicking on articles on San Francisco Chronicle, on Drudge Report, all these other websites. And they're like, hey, can we get a list of who clicked on this article? And you're just reading it. You're just reading, like, you know, the sports scores or something like that. But at the same time, some gross dude, some gross, disgusting dude was posting on some forum. Hey, did you see how James LeBron did last night? Long live King James. Now you're in that database. You're in that database because that Fox News is like, yeah, sure, here's all of our files. We don't care. I'm not saying Fox News would do that, but I'm saying that how many times does this happen that they we don't know about? It's probably a lot. Probably a lot. Fascinating story. True crime and conspiracy intersecting. Steve, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys of the carbonercopter. copter. We are leaving behind Sunrise, Florida. We are headed out to a military installation somewhere in California. This comes from a Reddit user named Sweets1924. So let's, let's give them an actual human name. We're going to call her Emily. And if that's her real name, it's just a shot in the dark. Emily is a young mother, a young military wife. And her husband, her husband Duke, her husband Duke is ready to sign up with G.I. Joe and fight the forces of a Cobra, the villains we should actually be fighting, other than the real-life disgusting pervos out there. Duke is ready to go take the war to Cobra. They have two kids. Uh, we'll just call them, we'll just call them Veronica and Bobby. Doesn't really matter what their names are. They're living on base housing in this military base in California. It's, the location is not named in this story. It's understandable why, and you'll see as the story progresses. And this truly is a story of progression. Duke is going to get deployed. So eventually it's just going to be Emily and the two kids home alone on this base housing. They're living on this military base. And a couple days before Duke is deployed, everyone is asleep in the house. And Emily says they have their blinds open in their bedroom to just let a little bit of light in. No one likes sleeping in pitch darkness. And this night, they hear their bedroom door open. Wakes Emily up. And she sees in the dim moonlight 
a little shadowy figure run by the foot of the bed, and the pitter-patter of tiny feet. Obviously, if that happened to you, I don't know if you have kids. If that happened to me, I'd be terrified because that none of that makes sense. That totally terrified me. They have kids. They just it's assume their kids are having a bad dream or something like that. Little did they know, soon they would be having the bad dream. <laughs> that good? Should I start including segues like that? It, it wasn't their kid. It wasn't their kid. I guess I forgot to tell that detail. It wasn't their kid. They turned on the light. I got too busy doing my new Robert Stack transitions. They turn on the light. There's no kids in the room. It's kidless. They go and they check on their kids, and the kids are sleeping. It's totally fine. Duke gets deployed. Emily is now home alone with Veronica and Bobby. They're watching Netflix one night, and a bag of potato chips falls off the fridge. And she looks at it, and she goes, Oh, I must have put the bag too close to the edge of the fridge. It happens. If that was where the story ended, right? If Think about how often stuff falls off of your fridge. It does all the time in my place. Stuff's constantly falling down where I live. I never think about it. I never think about it. It happens so often. And I think that probably happens a lot of people. You're like, Jason, no, your, your house is definitely on it. Stuff shouldn't constantly be falling off. Or check the foundation, at least. Stuff's always falling down where I live. So I don't even think about it. And this is what I mean, the story of progression. If the, just the potato chips fell down, you wouldn't even think about it. But she's connecting all these threads together. The person running around in the room, you would think, I just woke up. Just dreaming. Potato chips falling, nothing. But that night, she's putting the kids to bed. She puts little Bobby to bed. And she puts Veronica to bed. And she says that they're sleeping soundly. She goes back out in the living room. She's like, finally, some peace and quiet. And she goes and checks on the kids every once in a while. She checks on Bobby, sound asleep. She checks on Veronica. She's peeking through the door, and she sees Veronica's blanket being lifted up off of her. She said it looked like someone had grabbed it and was pulling it up into the air. Impossible. And she throws the door wide open, and the blanket falls and just lays there. Now, Emily goes, I, I, that must have been my imagination. There is no way what I saw is actually real. A couple nights later, the house is quiet. Everyone's asleep. Emily hears from the hallway. <laughs> Deep, mournful, sobbing. She's like, what, what, what the fuck is going on now? Like, someone is just in extreme depression. She's like, listen, I know my kids miss their dad, but this is a little too much. Get over it. She goes out into the hallway. Completely empty hallway. Now, at this point, Emily is 100% for sure she's going insane. She's not really even thinking ghost at this point. And that's a really interesting path to take. I know when I've had ghost experiences, that is your first instinct. That was Steve's first hallucination. A lifelong hallucination problem. Oh, I'm being chased by a stagecoach. When I've seen ghost stuff, my first thing is I must be going crazy. When you see something just off the corner of your eye, you just go, that's just out of the corner of my eye. But when you start seeing stuff a lot, your first instinct is, I must be losing my mind because that's what we think of. That's what we think of. You're just going crazy. 
So that is her first instinct. She's not bringing over mediums. She's not pull, downloading apps onto her phone and trying to do white noise talking and stuff like that. She's like, oh my god, I hope, I hope my kids are safe. I hope that someone will take care of them while I'm in the insane asylum for a week trying to get over this. Next day, though, she's sitting in the living room. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Her daughter and her son are running down the hallway towards her. Mommy, mommy. And mom's like, what is going on? Mommy, I was just in my room, said Veronica. Because the little kids sound the same. You can't tell if it's a boy or a girl, right? This is Veronica. Mommy, I was just in my room. And there's a girl in my closet. I guess I should finish the story. That's not the end of it. I don't know why it takes I don't know why it took such a long pause. Just imagine Emily's mouth going, oh, that whole time. There's a girl in my closet. Mommy, you won't believe this. So me and Bobby were playing and we're playing the closet game. You know the game where we open and close the closet door? And then my voice started to change back to normal because Jason got tired of doing that voice. I was hanging out by the closet with Bobby and there's a little girl in the closet. And she's mean, Mommy. She's so mean. Because I have pigtails. You see this detail that Jason's telling us about now? I, Veronica, have pigtails. And the little girl in the closet said, Take them out or I'll cut them off. And then she called me a little bitch. <laughs> she called me. <laughs> she called her a little bitch. She called... That's an actual quote. I'm not adding that in. This little... <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to have a ghost be, like, haunting your house. But it's another thing to be like, you, you, Man, what's up, bitch? What are you laying there? I'm pushing you over. They're not there to haunt you. They're just there to bully you. You're like, hey, have you seen all my change? It's taking your lunch money. You're like, oh, man. <laughs> your wallet's missing. Your ghost is like, ha, ha, ha. Giving you <laughs> astrally projecting you in the middle of the night, giving you swirlies. How come that's an Adam Sandler movie that needs to be made? Anyways, <laughs> no, I totally cut. It. I ruined the tension. This little goat. Imagine now. Okay, this little creepy ghost girl. She does call you a little bitch. That's still kind of funny, but to a little girl, that's super spooky, right? And the mom realized her kids don't cuss. Doesn't mean they've never heard a cuss word before. But if these children were joking, that would not be part of the joke. Like, the reason why these children were saying that word was because they need the mother needed to know the gravity of the situation. So at this point, the mom knows she's not insane. Or it could be mass hallucination, because the children are seeing it too. And Bobby and Veronica are so scared of this little girl, they call her scary. They're not like, her name's Margaret, and she just wants a friend. They're like, no, she's scary. That's her name. She's scary. So not just an adjective. She's a terrifying young girl. So that night, Bobby and Veronica are like, we're not sleeping, <laughs> we're not sleeping in our rooms, Mom, at all. Because there's a little ghost girl in Veronica's room. It wouldn't, even, it wouldn't even matter if the boy didn't have a ghost in his closet. Would you even want to check? They saw a full-body apparition that threatened them. Physically. Well, Veronica, but still, Bobby, you know, he might be next. He might want to grow pigtails, and then he's doomed. So they're sleeping out in the living room. And that night, Emily is FaceTiming with her cousin. They're just talking, and then the cousin goes, Hey, uh, is everything okay over there? 
And I would imagine that boy Emily's heart stopped. Because you can just imagine there's a little ghost girl like floating behind her or something like that. The cousin goes, is everything okay over there? And Emily goes, yeah, I mean, fine. I mean, you probably can tell I haven't slept a lot lately, but why do you ask? And the cousin goes, the kids are crying. And Emily's looking around and she goes, no, no, they're not. And the cousin goes, I can clearly hear a child crying over the FaceTime. I can hear this child crying. And Emily said her cousin was so convinced that the kids were crying. Because at that point on the cousin's side, she has to think, is something really wrong? Like, has this woman abused them in some way? Like, that would be weird. to be. I didn't think about this until I was telling the story. On the cousin's side, if you clearly hear a child sobbing, and then you know there's children there, and the parent's like, oh no, there's no, no crying here. That would be super sus, right? But anyway, so Emily, I think she probably picked up on that. Emily had to show, picked up the camera and was walking over and showed that her, her two children were fast asleep on the couch. Emily could not hear the crying. The cousin did, though, over FaceTime. That is so terrifying. That is such a scary detail to this story. Because you think about all the times... You could just be sitting there at home alone reading a book and there's something going on right next to you. There's like a shivering old man (gasps) 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 breathing right in your ear. He's super rude too. He needs to know personal boundaries. You're taking a shower and right outside there's just this dude standing there. (laughs) I can't wait till he gets out of the shower. I can't wait to breathe in his ear. You know what I mean? And maybe if you were FaceTiming in the shower, you're talking to someone, you're in the shower, they see the silhouette of an old man standing outside, but you... Oh, dude, that's so scary. That is so terrifying. The fact that something was sobbing and no one in the room could hear it, but someone else outside the room could... Oh, dude, it's so spooky. Anyways, level of progression. Potato chips falling off of a fridge. Phantom sounds being heard from people out. That's just too much. But it still wasn't too much. Still wasn't too much for Emily. What are you going to do? I guess would be the thing. Your husband, who's really in charge of the house, because this is his job. They have that. They have this house because of his job. They're not making a ton of money. Military enlisted people don't make a ton of money. It actually, doesn't say what rank he is, but fairly young family. They're not making a ton of money. What are you going to do? And at the same time, you do kind of think, maybe I'm just losing my mind. But when the kids are seeing scary, and when the cousin's hearing that crying, is she? Emily just feels really helpless about it. She has these two kids to take care of. The next day, her and the kids go shopping. They're probably like, do you want to stay home and play Switch? They're like, uh-uh, take us shopping. I don't care if I'm trying on shoes all day long. I want to get out of here. They go shopping, they come back, and... Emily notices when they get home, they see muddy footprints through the house. They lead to her bathroom. And the final set of footprints is actually standing on top of the closed toilet seat. So at this point, two things are very clear. The house is haunted, and this this ghost is kind of a jerk. She calls her husband. She's like, listen, (laughs) bombs are going off. He's like, honey, I can't hear you. Let me go to a quieter place. And she goes, this, I know things are kind of stressful over where you're at, honey, but this place is super haunted. Apparently, a lot of the base housing on this base, people have complained about 
ghosts. And we talked about this last week. We talked about this last week, um, last Monday, really. We talked about the haunted bases on Okinawa, considered some of the most haunted places in the U.S. military. And I, that may just be something that servicemen have to deal with. You're living on base housing. You figure you have all of this emotional energy. You have young families, really, really young families being separated for 18 months at a time. All of this passion and childhood and all of these fears and hopes and wants. It's like that's the most dynamic part of your life. It's the emotional energy. Like there's that idea that ghosts are 50% dead people and then 50% the emotional residue we leave behind. A military base. And then you factor in all the affairs and stuff like that as well. I mean, now you're just like amplifying this stuff. It would make sense that a military base would be charged with emotional energy. And the fact that the military, unfortunately, people die. People die doing it. So you have the young moms at home getting the letter, getting the folded flag, that emotional energy being discharged. The man coming back to find his family, but 50 years had passed, and now his specter is in a house. His family's moved on. Things like that. All of these things that you can wrap up. And when you look at classic ghost stories, too, a lot of it is the young woman, her husband goes out to war, her, his, her husband goes out to sea, never returns. You can still see her ghost standing by the window to this day. It's very, very classic American gothic ghost stories. But the Duke is like, yeah, historically all that stuff it matters. But what matters right now is that a lot of my fellow soldiers are saying there's a lot of places on the base that are haunted. Call the chaplain. Call the chaplain. So she does. She calls the base chaplain, which I'm sure was very hard for her because she seemed to be struggling with, do I have a mental health crisis? The chaplain for the base shows up, walks into the house, and tells her this. Okay, I can bless this house. So I'm assuming it was probably, I'm assuming they were probably Catholic. I can bless this house. But... (laughs) You never want to hear your chaplain say but when talking about this type of stuff. He goes, I can bless your house, but it's only going to make things worse. You need to find a new place to live. My advice, as as he's like walking around the house, he's all like, oh, he doesn't want to go. He's like, it's in the closet. Okay, I'm not going over there. He tells her, you need to get a hotel room for a while. Because I'm going to do this, I will bless this place, but it's going to get worse. So do you have anywhere else to stay? And again, a lot of military families don't make a ton of money. They're usually moved. You know, they had family in one state, born and raised in Utah. Now they're in California. It's not like they can just pick up and go to their mom's house across the street. They do have to get a hotel room for a while. And the husband does arrange it that they'll get a new place. Whether it's off base or another... I wouldn't... Even if they're like, well, we can move into this other house on base... You can pay a little bit extra and be ghost-free. Go ahead and do it. They move. They do pick up and move. And Emily says on the very last day, they're packing all their stuff up, but things are still scattered around, knickknacks and things like that. They're still getting their last of their stuff packed up to go. Emily's packing. Duke is packing. The kids. The kids are like, just leave the clothes in the closet, Mom. Let's just go to pay less, buy some new shoes, go to Walmart, buy some new clothes. Emily said as they were packing stuff up, at one point she looks over, and among all this stuff that's just kind of spread out, these knickknacks, there's a candle sitting there. A lit candle. 
She looks at Duke. Duke looks over at her. Neither of them lit that candle. The problem with ghosts is that we really don't know what causes them. We know it's not every single death equals a ghost, because otherwise there would be millions and millions of ghosts everywhere. You wouldn't be able to get on a subway without getting covered in ectoplasm. We don't know what causes ghosts. We don't know what causes it. Scary, this little girl Scary, she did say the reason why she stayed at the house is she was waiting for Uncle Sean. But what does that mean? Who's Uncle Sean? Is he alive? Is he another spirit? Is she waiting to join him? Is she in fear of him? Is she waiting to get revenge on him? We don't know any of these details. So we don't know what the motivations are. We don't know where these things come from. We don't know why they exist. We have theories. But we don't know why. And that's one of the things that makes ghosts so terrifying. Really the most terrifying of all paranormal phenomenon. We can predict cryptids. Bigfoot lives here. If you want to fight a vampire, you need these things. But ghosts just exist, and we live in their world. And we don't know what causes them to come. We don't know what causes them to become visible to us. Because this house was military housing. You had other families in here, and as far as we know, no one else was reporting these type of incidents. But at the same time, it could have been happening all the time. And the military just covers it up. They get a new chaplain every two years just so he keeps his mouth shut. So did this family do something to make this ghost appear? Was the ghost always there and no one else noticed it? Was it a new resident? Was it an ancient resident? We don't know any of these things, and it's the unknowns that make us scared. But the chaplain was right. Whatever this ghost was, was extremely powerful. This ghost was manipulating physical items, manifesting itself in front of people. Auditory, visual, lighting a candle, which isn't just a show of its power, which isn't just a show of its power. When you think about like ghost videos, when you watch ghost videos on YouTube, a lot of the times it's things falling over, chairs moving. That is a sign of power. Knocking over a bag of potato chips is scary, right? And if you saw it happen more than once, you would start to think something was up. But lighting that candle is more than us just showing this is what I can do. This is what I'm capable of. I'm more than just an orb. I'm more than just a lonely widow staring out of a window since 1849. Fire burns. Fire kills. I have the power to burn this entire building down. And I'm showing you that. I'm letting you know the only reason you are able to move out of this house is because I let you. As Emily and Duke looked at that candle burn, they had to know that that candle could have lit itself at any point in the middle of the night. That fire could have sparked anywhere in that house. It could have sparked inside the wall, while the children were home alone. It could have sparked on the stove, a short circuit, unnoticed until late at night, when the entire kitchen was ablaze. That ghost was sending a signal, I could have killed you in your sleep, 
I could have taken the lives of your children any time I wanted to. The only reason I am letting you live is because you will always fear me. You will grow old. Your children will move away and have children of their own. They will face things in their life, obstacles they will have to overcome. But all of you, all of you will always remember there's nothing more scary than me. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.